Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Amen. So you can turn to the book of Judges if you can. Yeah, like I don't hear a lot of pages rustling like Judges. First of all, where is that? Well, it's the Old Testament. Yes, that's part of the Bible too. It's in the front. You know, you can go after the first couple books. You'll start seeing it. And yes, there's a book named Judges. Well, what do you mean Christians aren't supposed to judge people? We're not supposed to be judgmental. Yeah, yeah tell that to the world. Believe it or not, after the time of uh, Moses and Abraham and Joshua and all of that, uh, there was a time of judges before all the time of kings. There weren't kings in the land. There were judges in the land that sort of understood the law, understood the Bible, and they were able to teach it to those and, and govern the land. In that time, it was pretty brutal for the Jewish people. I don't understand it. I can't get my head around it. So you have all these great stories of Abraham and Noah and you know, even before that with Adam and Eve, but then going into Joshua and, and all that took place in David and all these great stories, right? But then why in the world would you have a group of people who after they crossed the Red Sea, after they crossed the Jordan, after they saw the giants fall, why would they not continue to serve the Lord? They've seen all these miracles. They've seen God's presence in their life, and yet they decide to do their own thing. That's where we find ourselves in Judges and so, as you're turning, you can turn to chapter 6 is where I want to go today. Um, we're in a prayer series. We're talking about prayer. We've been doing it for about a month and a half now because we were talking about spiritual warfare in December. And how can we possibly, how can we possibly fight a spiritual warfare unless we have spiritual tools? And so we've been preaching about prayer. We've been talking about the Lord's Prayer, Prayer Gold. Hopefully you guys are using that every day. How many, how many are using Prayer Gold? Anybody? Just me? Just me? Remember, right? Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, just like we did this morning. Add it to your prayer routine every day. We've learned about the earnest prayer, what it means to pray earnestly, as, as we saw when it says, answer me, answer me, Elijah says. Remember that prayer? And then we talked about increasing our faith. The prayer that says, increase my faith, Lord, as the disciples were struggling with what Jesus was giving them. He said, increase my faith. Whose faith? My faith, your faith. God's going to do something through your faith. We learned that. And then it was remember me, O Lord. Remember in 1 Samuel, Hannah talking about remember me, remember me. These are all some of the most effective prayers in the Bible. And we have one more today that I'm, I'm interested in sharing with you. And I'm cautioned sharing this particular one with you because it's not for everyone. And it's not for every time. It's for specific and unique times. But there's so much to learn by studying the book of Judges. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to actually like read it. You okay with that? Let's just read the word of God. It's great. It's an awesome story. So I'm actually going to read a good bit of chapter 6 here. It's the Gideon story. Some of you have heard it before. You do not have to stand. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because this is uh, my story Bible, as I like to say it. it. It flows really nice as you're telling. So here we are, Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israels did evil, say did evil, in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. 
Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from the Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then, say then, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians, from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now. But you did not listen. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came, sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, and belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Goash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? How many times have we asked that question? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles of our ancestors? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Heavenly Father, Lord God, allow the word of God to sink into our soil. Not just what I say, but what you say. Father God, what your Holy Spirit inspires us. What you bring to light in our minds and in the expression today, Father God. I want your will to be done here on earth. And Father God, speak to us when we walk out those doors. We will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church says, amen. That's just a fraction of the story that's pretty awesome in Judges. If you keep reading, a lot of really awesome things happen. And this is Old Testament, by the way. This is supposed to be boring. I didn't find this very boring, so I want to point it out to you. I almost wanted to go one by one on a couple verses. That's why I took off the jacket. I mean business this morning. You with me? Amen. Let's look at this here. The first verse right here, Judges 6.1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Do you know we are capable of doing evil? Even good people like you and me, we're capable of doing evil. How is that? That's crazy, right? It just is a fact. We live in a sinful world. We think about ourselves. We think about our agendas. We think about our schedules. And sometimes, unintentionally, we do bad things to good people and bad things to bad people. It's still bad things. We are capable of doing evil. We say, well, does God punish you and does God do evil on you? No, God is a good God and all good things come from God. Amen? 
But often as part of his judgment, he allows you to be a victim of your own woes and ways. And in this case, for seven years, he let the Israel people, the chosen people, the people who were supposed to be holy and righteous and set apart, he let them hand it over to the Midianites yet again. Are you kidding me? This is after like all the Egyptian stuff, all the wilderness stuff. You know, you'd think they'd learn their lesson. They did not. We are also a stubborn people. And we need lots of reminders. And so this morning, hopefully, if you know the story of Gideon, this will be a refresher course on what God is teaching us and telling us. Let's look at what happens next. Oh, what was, what was the evil that they did? Well, idols, for one. They decided to not just follow God, but to follow Baal and some of the other gods of the time. And disobedience, of course. They just stopped following the, the, not just the Ten Commandments, but the things they knew were right. They stopped doing the things they were supposed to do, even though they knew what they were. Why is this? Why? This is like you and me, by the way. None of us are perfect. No, not one. Let's keep looking. I was struck by verse 6 too. So the Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Well, before they were reduced to starvation, they handed themselves over to idols, and then they started being surrounded by these other lands, and then they came in and started serving these gods, and then these people started invading their territory, taking their homes, taking their food, and then at some point when they took everything and there was nothing left, they were reduced to starvation, and then the Israelites cried out for help. Why do we wait so long to ask God to help us. Even well-meaning Christians want to figure everything out ourselves, and then if we can't, we'll start to pray. Even these guys who knew they couldn't figure it out themselves, they waited to literally the point of death, Joe. I mean, they were like, let's just, let's just see if we can get through this. No, we're now literally going to die, and we might as well call out to the Lord God. We got to stop this, church. Using God as the medicine cabinet, using God as a last resort, using God when it's all over. What you heard from Jared there was using God as soon as he heard the need. He did a here and now prayer. Those here and now prayers, like I said, they're rare today. You hear a prayer, you hear a need, you pray for it now. Wherever you are, Walmart, your work, on the football field, wherever it is, I hear, I hear a need, I pray for it right now. God loves that boldness. God promotes that boldness. The Holy Spirit is prompting you with that boldness. Jared, I appreciate you setting an example for all of us. And look what happened. She didn't get healed the next day, the next minute. Three weeks. Three weeks. No cancer. God is good. And all the time. Let's keep going here. I'm just setting the stage. Let's look at verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord. Now, this is one of my favorites here. You come up to the altar. Pastor Sean, I have a need. Pray for me. You know, it's sickness. It's this. It's that. It's, it's financial. It's in a relationship. It's with my job. We pray, and almost instantly, because of our belief and faith, we expect God to do something immediately. And often is the case he does. Surprisingly, so if you have faith for it, let it be so. Amen? We've seen it happen right here. Not just cancer, but all sorts of ailments, all sorts of situations, untenable by this world, unimaginable and unsolvable by our human ways. And God has done miracles even in this altar, even in this year. But sometimes, sometimes there's a refinement process, there's a wilderness process, there's a waiting process. So what do you think followed here? Now you have your Bible so you can see. When they cried out to the, the Lord, did he, I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring fire down all the Midianites and just wipe them out for you. Let's just start clean. It's, it's that easy, right? No, let's see what the Lord did. Ah, he sent a prophet. This is 
This is what you want to hear, isn't it? When you're having a desperate need, when things are going not so well, and you can't figure out what to do next, and you pray, I'm sure most of you, Lord, Lord, help me with my finances, or Lord, help me with you know, my child's sickness, or help me with my home situation. And by that, Lord, I mean send me a prophet. Send me somebody. Send me somebody that will tell me everything I'm doing that is wrong and everything I'm doing that should be right, right? The modern day translation, this is basically God saying, get up and go to church. Go hear a little bit of my word that I've already told you and see if it fits in, amen? You got a prophet this morning. His name is Pastor Sean, and I have no prophecy other than what I'm reading in Judges chapter 6, so I'm just telling you this morning that God has something for you. He has something for you, and maybe even this morning, he could be speaking to your situation, reorienting your life, if you're paying attention, and if you're listening to the prophet. So you heard what the prophet said to them. He's basically like, okay, guys, right? We took you out of Egypt. We took you over the sea. We took you into the giants, and now you're right back here. You want to know why you're back here? It's because you don't listen. You know, our kids don't like hearing that, but sometimes that's the truth. Amen? Okay, so what happens next? What happens next? There are more sermons than I could possibly preach, more angles and takes on this than, than I have shared. I've preached Gideon a few times. Um, so this one, I'll just do a one-slider. What happens next is God looks at Gideon, and he says, well, an angel of the Lord appears to him. Many people believe this is... Uh, an image of Jesus Christ coming back uh, and, and, and showing himself before Gideon. And he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. King James says, mighty warrior or valiant warrior. Um, yeah. Think about this for a second. So I want to just give you a better picture of what's going on here. Gideon, he is on a very specific finite mission. It's get food. That's it. Get food for his family. He is quite literally the breadwinner. I mean, he's making bread, and he needs to make that bread and bring it home. And that is his job, although it's very difficult to do. He can't, he can't go out into the fields. He can't farm, gather, because the Midianites would kill him. So he gets creative, and he takes a wine press, and he, he sinks it into the ground. So he's under the ground, and he's dealing with the wheat. Now, many of you don't deal with wheat anymore. You buy flour and make bread. But back then, you had to thresh the wheat, which means you took the wheat, and you put it on the threshing floor, the wine press in this case. You drug it um, across with a threshing board. And basically, what happens is the wheat has, like, seeds, and it's inside of a capsule, and the, the capsule's called chaff. And you would drag it along, and the shaft is real thin, and it basically would blow away in the wind. So what he had to do, so when they, when they thresh wheat out in, in, in the open, they would basically thresh it, and then the wind would blow all of the shaft away, and they were left with the wheat that they could make the bread with. Well, because he couldn't do it out in the open, he's doing it in a wine press, so all the seeds are mixed in with all the shells, so he's literally got to pick it up, and he's got to throw it up in the air and hope the wind blows up. And you guys know, I mean, if you've ever been, like, dealing with sawdust before, you know what this process is like. It blows everywhere, sure, all over you. He's got it probably covered in chaff. 
which is a constant image in the Bible of like nastiness and waste and, and even sin at times. So he's covered in this stuff. He's hiding from the enemy like maybe a coward would do. And he's now trying to make a little bit of food for his family. And in the midst of this, which he's probably really struggling, an angel appears to him and says, mighty warrior, mighty hero. This is crazy talk. He doesn't feel like a mighty hero. He doesn't look like a mighty hero. He need, they need a mighty hero, and of all the people who would be it, he doesn't think it's him. I, I just wanted to just spend a, one minute on here if I can. This is how God sees you. God does not see you the way you see yourself. God does not see you the way your parents see you, the way your friends see you, the way your coworkers see you, the way your supervisors see you, the way the world sees you. He doesn't put you in these categories and labels that the world does. In fact, he sees you unique and separate and destined to do his work and will here on this earth. He sees you with glorified eyes. He sees what you do not. He sees in you not weakness, not discouragement. He sees glorious victory in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? You have to believe that. Amen. You have to believe that. God is just like any good parent. If you have children, even us that have new, newborns or, or young ones, you know, they may not be doing a lot of good when they're running around dis misbehaving and disobeying. You, some other people in the church you know, may have thinking through their mind or distraction or they're rotten or whatever they think. But you, you, especially when our kids come up here and sing as part of the programs, you look at your kids and think they're awesome. They're the best. They're the greatest. They're the best one up there doing the best singing of everyone else. They're just, they couldn't do any wrong. They're fantastic. That's how God sees you need to reorient your thinking today, church. There are mighty warriors sitting amongst us, each one with a job only you can do. Gideon was such a person. Let's keep looking. At verse 14, he then turned to the Lord and said, the Lord turned to him and said, quote, go, the strength you have, and rescue Israel from the many nights I'm sending you. This is one of my favorite, you know, concepts in scripture it's all throughout scripture i've preached it a few times he didn't say i'm going to give you more strength than a thousand men i'm going to make you like samson super strong or i'm going to give you wings that you can fly over them and drop fireballs on them he didn't do any of that he didn't make a marvel hero here james what he did he said go with the strength you have what's already in you the faith that's in you, the strength that's in you, the courage that's in you, the creativity that's in you, the righteousness that's in you, the power that's in you. You say, well, Pastor Sean, I don't have much of those things. You're right. You don't. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit puts it inside of us. He is in us, literally inside of us, doing his work. We need to allow him to do what's already inside of you the moment you accepted Jesus Christ into your life. Are you tracking with me, church? Are you with me, church? It's in you. It's one of my favorite verses, Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit where? Not around you. Not with you. Not in front of you. He's certainly not going to do something to you. He's going to do it in you. 
in you. That means that regardless of your situation, regardless of what's in front of you, the obstacle, the challenge, regardless of how impossible it may be, regardless of how unqualified you may be, you are looking through it through the wrong eyes. God looks at you and says, everything that you need is already in you. I am the creator of the universe, the creator of all that ever was, all that ever will be. And I created you and I put all of that inside you. Just let that settle in. He said, go with the strength you have. Go with what you have right now and do. Of course, if any of us, you know, Elijah, Gideon, these are some of my favorites because they're normal people. They complain. They're like, I'm not sure about this. I got issues. Look at what Gideon says. Let's see here. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Let's just ignore the fact of whatever's in me. We're just going to assume that's not enough. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. And of the weakest in the whole tribe, Right, so it's like we got two football teams, and of all the teams in the league, we got the strongest team playing against the weakest team. And of all the players on the team, I am, I am the weakest. If you play sports, this has happened to you at some point in your career. You, you've always been, at some point, if you played a highness level, you've been not the best. Because if you were the best and you were here, you'd be in the Super Bowl or the World Series, and we take your autograph. So assuming we're not doing that, at some point, this has happened to you. You've been the weakest. You've been the least. We have a, a great skill, we as in Americans, especially American Christians, we have a great skill, which is not just judging others, but judging ourselves, always in the negative. And we look inside and we always find all the limitations, all of the excuses, all of the reasons why we can't do what God wants us to do. We're really, really good at that. So I can just sort of, if I summarize what's on the screen here, this is what we usually say to us. But Lord, how can I? How could I possibly be part of that ministry? I don't have any free time, and all these other things are important. How could I possibly uh, lead a Bible study or come up and talk about a testimony? My nerves, that's a real thing. My wife tells me often she's going to have a heart attack if she comes up in front of us. Or how can I discipline my children right or pour the Lord into their life in the right way? Or how can I lead my marriage the right way? Or how can I do my job the right way? How can I do these things um, in the way that I know you want me to, Lord, given our culture and our society and our expectations and our commitments? How can I do it? We often make excuses. And on top of that, it's crazy, we often remind God at what our own limitations are. To me, this itself should be a sin. The man who created us, we're going to remind him of his faults. Lord, you didn't make me big enough, strong enough, not a good enough talker, not smart enough, not rich enough, not whatever enough, and now you ask me to do something. Have you ever been in these shoes? Hopefully the quiet among us is because I'm speaking and the word of God is speaking to you. I think, I think God knows who you are. I think he knows exactly who you are. I think he knows every hair on your head. I think he knows every cell in your body. I think he knows every thought in your mind, every fear in your heart. And I think he, and only he, can use the full net sum of it to allow you to do something no one else could do. Are you with me, church? 
Okay, so three things happen after he complains. Three things. Quickly, thing one. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Well, what I want to say here, what is thing one? Thing one is God spoke into his life. God spoke words and encouragement into his life. And maybe the best words of encouragement, as Laura was up here, I will be with you. I will stick it closer than a brother. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you as you go out into the highways and byways. I will go with you to the outermost parts of the earth. I will go with you and I am God. What else you need? I would love as a pastor to say, that's enough. Sure. Sure. I mean, if you're going to take that little burning bush and you're going to hop along with me, I'll take it. Right? If I'm going to get in my own special cloud, go with it. If some of the ushers can carry the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant behind me as I go, yeah. I just don't feel that way all the time, Lord. And there's so many poems written about this, like the footprints and all that's good stuff. But for Gideon and for me, it wasn't enough. What was thing two that had to happen? Thing two, there's a lot written about. And I want to pause on it because I don't want to make too big of a deal about it. Now I'm going to come to it. But he said, show me a sign. Show me a sign to prove that is really the Lord speaking to me. This is thing two. And, and I'm going to come back to it, but I want to say this at this point. If it was wrong to ask God for a sign, if it was weakness to ask God for a sign, if it was unrighteous to ask God for a sign, if it was unfaithful to ask God for a sign, he would have condemned and corrected Gideon on the spot. Did he? Quite the opposite. Thing three happened. Judges 18 to 31, the verses I didn't read, what happened was Gideon wanted to worship God. And so the sign was he was going to go set up an altar and worship God with some of his um, fruits of his labor, some of his bread and some of his wine. And he brought it back to the angel and he presented that as an offering to God. God accepted it and made it disappear. He realized he was before God. He was then scared. He said, wow, before God, am I going to die now? I thought it was like dead. Or he was scared that at that moment he was going to fall dead. And the angel said, no, go, go. And so he then went home and he went and did what he knew was right. He went home and he had an altar set up to Baal, false god. He broke down the altar that moment. He, he broke it down and he set up an altar to the living God, Jehovah Jireh, to Jehovah Shalom. He, he set it up and, and he, he sacrificed a bull on it just as he was supposed to do, just as his ancestors had done generations before him. He was the only one in this town to do this. And you know what happened? You can, you can go back and look. What happened is it wasn't good. It wasn't good because all the people of the town, they wanted the altar to set up for Baal. He now set up an altar to God, and so they wanted to hurt him. They wanted to take him out. That was the law of the land. They were going to stone him. But what I want to point out to you is he did what he knew was right despite all of that. He worshiped God in the midst of his trials and his tribulations. Amen? He was obedient to the instructions that he already knew. The angel didn't have to give him any specificity. He knew exactly what to do. And you know what else he did? And this is why I just got to point out. It's why I loved your testimony, Jared. It was, uh, it was destined. He interrupted his day. He had a day where he was at work and he was, you know, making bread, quite literally. And um, then I'm sure he had things to do when he got home. He stopped all that 
to do what the Lord asked him to do. He broke down the temple. He did all these things. He broke down the altar. He did all of these things and interrupting his schedule, interrupting his day. And it was very countercultural. I mean, quite literally, he broke down an altar and he was going to get stoned for it. I mean, this is equivalent to doing what Jared is doing, meeting a coworker and praying on the spot, pulling out the Bible, you know, worshiping at work, worshiping in the car. I, I don't know. You think of what your most countercultural thing you can think of as it applies to Christianity. That's what this guy did. Are you with me, church? Then the test and attack. The test was, are you going to do it? He did it. The attack was, they said, we're going to kill you now for doing it, Gideon. So, Gideon, I have a giant army out there that wants to kill me. I'm going to hide in a wine press and throw shaft all over myself. Then going to meet an angel and realize I need to do something else. So I go do something else thinking I'm going to take care of the army. And instead, my own people want to kill me now. Thanks, Lord. Are you tracking? Are you tracking? This is what happens. This is the formula. Satan will use anyone, anything, anywhere to break you down. Make no mistake. Judges 6, 33. So when the people came, you can go back and look. I just want to speed it up here. When the people came, Gideon basically said, how dare you come to me? How dare you bring up Baal? He basically said, let Baal speak for himself. If Baal's a real God, let him strike me down where I stand. Oh, you didn't, Baal? Said, oh, you better bow before God, Jehovah. And immediately they're like, whoa. They even came up with a nickname for him. You'd think he's like, hey, hey, I got this covered now. Wait a minute. My own people don't want to kill me anymore. Maybe I can do this leadership thing. You know, maybe I can take out the 10,000 Midianites that are here with my little army. Maybe. I don't even have an army yet, but maybe. He's probably thinking it. You know how this goes. You come to a sermon. You come to a church service, revival, you hear a devotion. A friend calls you up, Facebook. You read a little thing. You feel really good inside. Like, oh, I feel you, Lord, all the time, all the time. You go to sleep. You wake up, and you get that text in the morning. You read that email. You know, what is it with us who wake up in the morning, the first thing we do is grab our phone. Who wants me? Like, what's going on? All these texts, all these emails. Sometimes before I even get out of bed, I'm looking at them like, what am I doing? And then you read something bad, and and you read something that, that doesn't line up, and you're like, oh, no, I don't feel so good anymore. Exactly what happened. Verse 33. Soon afterwards, he took down the altar. His people were now rallying behind him. At that moment, the armies of the Midian and now the Amaleks and all the people of the east, they form an alliance and they come and they camp outside of his his town. It's like, well, Lord, I thought I was making some progress. Now I realize, I mean, it's real now. This is real. This is about to happen. God spoke. Just listen to the sequence. God spoke to him. Signs and wonders happened, an angel and the disappearing act. Obedience and faith was demonstrated, and yet it still got worse. Are you hearing me? God spoke, signs and wonders happened, obedience was demonstrated, and it still got worse. It's all through Scripture everywhere. Sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes when God has a bigger plan for you, he makes sure that that plan is going to be a testimony worth telling. Amen? That's what Jared was telling you about. That was no easy thing. Cervical cancer is awful. But what a plan and what a story. God is good and all the time. So 
Here, I want to come back to it. I don't want to spend much time at all on this. But this is one of the most effective prayers in the Bible. Hands down. Show me a sign. Gideon says, show me a sign once. The angel then does the offering thing. He then says, show me a sign um, a second time, which was him going down to the armies and, and seeing a dream happen. And then there was the laying of the fleece. So if many of you know this story, he lays a fleece down overnight, and in the morning the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And then that wasn't enough. He said, you know what? Do it again and do it the opposite way. Just so I know it's you, Lord. You know, you guys, we're like this. We, you know, we, we're, we're human. He actually says, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to ask again. Please just do it the opposite way. So the next day, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. He's like, oh, it must be. So th this was his exact specific request of show me a sign. Can we ask for signs from God? Well, it's in the word of God. Why should we limit the word of God or limit what's in there? Uh, the more important question is why should we ask for a sign? When can we ask for a sign? How can we ask for a sign? And I just want to say here that this is not for everyone. This is not for all the time. And there are some definite knots here, not for self-agendas. You can't sit down and be like, well, you know, um, you know, I really want a new car, and if it goes on sale, I'm going to buy it. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. It can't be for a shortcut. Here's one of the shortcuts I see a lot. So I hear you preach about tithes, Pastor Sean, and if the Lord gives me a promotion of about $15 an hour, I'll start paying it. No, it doesn't work that way. Here's another one. So I'm going to buy a house, and I found a house that I love. I found a house that I really want to be in. Um, I put a contract in on it. They've agreed to it, and I'm waiting for inspection to come back. So, Lord, you know, if this is your will, if this house is for me, you know, make the inspection go perfect. And if it doesn't, then no. You can't ask for a sign for a decision you've already made. What, what, you, you want him to... Who are you? Are you now the leader and he's the... No. These are things we generally do. Almost in every case in Scripture, the signs are directly associated with a massive ministry shift. If you were going to shift your ministry from one thing to another thing, almost in a desperate or life or death situation, a sign sometimes is required. Or if it's purely a life and death situation and you need to make a decision that may turn into you not living from it, or you succeeding from it, sometimes a sign is warranted. Desperate times require it. Confirmation. You see, signs are awesome, and even in this case, the Lord already spoke to Gideon people. He already spoke to him. He already told him what to do. Deep down inside, he knew he was a leader, as we see later. Deep down inside, he knew he was hiding. He knew he should have been doing something else. And he wanted the Lord to confirm in him what he already knew. Con confirmation is often the situation where signs are used. God has already spoken to you. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. You just can't get over the hump. You have this last decision to make, and you need God to confirm it. But it must align with Scripture. You can't ask him for a sign to divorce your wife, a sign to uh, you know commit sin, a sign to go and do these bad things. No, it doesn't. It must align with Scripture. And more than likely, by the way, heads up, it will involve a struggle. Gideon didn't get off easy here, and it absolutely requires obedience. Show me a sign. And there are people here that may, at one point in their life, require this prayer. And I want you to know it's available to you in Judges chapter six. Amen. I don't know if there's anybody here today that needs such a desperate, life-changing prayer. 
If you do, come see me afterwards, we can talk. But I want you to know it's available, and in the instance that this is something that comes up in your life, I want you to make sure that you can go to Judges chapter 6 and evaluate and examine it yourself. For the rest of us, what do we do? What else can I get from this sermon? This is awesome. I want to share this with you. This did not come from me. In fact, I've been reading a bunch of different uh, literature, and I came across this from Tyndall, and uh, my summary of it is focus on your current calling. The problem with sign messages or sign prayers are uh, we feel like we can go through life and just say, well, when a sign comes my way, I'll stop what I'm doing and wait for signs and we'll just conduct life that way. Tyndall writes like this, most of us want to know God's plan for our lives but are unsure how to find it. One common misunderstanding is the idea that God's guidance will come to us out of the blue. And that nothing has to be done. And it has nothing to do with what we're doing right now. Or on the other hand, if we're always looking around for God's next assignment, we run the risk of ruining whatever it is God has called us to do today. Fortunately, the Bible points out a different type of guidance that does not put our current projects and our current ministry in jeopardy. In this Bible description of Gideon, it shows how God guides him and many others we see that God often calls while people are completely immersed in the challenge of the moment, often their personal ministry. And this is so true of Gideon. His ministry and his vision were pretty limited, yet he was utterly committed to it. His challenge was to obtain food for his family, even though the hostile invaders were making the growing, gathering, and preparation of the food almost impossible. Gideon was determined and resourceful. He put a wine press to double duty by turning into a sunken threshing floor. It lacked ventilation to blow the shaft away, but at least it worked, and it was hidden from the enemy invaders. Gideon was hard at work when God sent him a messenger. Gideon was hard at work doing the task in front of him. The calling of his ministry was to his family, was to his marriage. That's what he was doing. And a call to the next level happened when he was focused on that thing. A bigger and more impactful ministry was presented to him, a much more difficult challenge. Church, I'm here to tell you, you don't need to go looking for signs. You don't need to go praying for signs for your ministry. What will happen is you'll be in your ministry, in your situation in life, when you're fully dedicated and committed to it. You know, know your role. Remember that sermon? When you know your role and start are in your role, then God will begin to speak to you. And when he does, allow him to move in you. And maybe then we talk about signs. But first you need to focus on what you're doing today. Amen? Let's not sit back and expect, I'll be in ministry when the Lord calls me to it. Oh, he didn't call me today. He didn't call me today. He didn't call me today. Or, you know, I'll be in my Bible when the Lord calls me to it. Or I'll worship when the Lord calls me to it. No, no. We have a plan that God has laid out for us. We should follow it daily. Amen? Amen. Let me finish up here real quick. The Lord said to Gideon, this is, this is great. I got a couple ending pieces here. The Lord said to Gideon in 7, chapter 2, you got too, you got too many warriors. He's up against 10,000, 50,000. The Bible's unclear, but it was probably those numbers. The entire land Gideon was in had about 30,000 warriors. He tried to gather them together with these ram's horns like this. And um, the Lord says, you got too many. If I let all of you fight, your people will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Sometimes you'll pray. 
Sometimes you'll get guided by God and your own self-sufficiency will get in the way. It'll handicap you to believe you can do it and you don't need him anymore. Just let that sink. They went from 32,000 to 10,000 and he still said it's too many warriors. He took them down to the spring. They drank a little bit of water. He left with 300 warriors. 300 warriors to fight the entire Midianite army. The Bible is saying simply trust in God. Do not try to work all the details out yourself. Don't try to work out what colleges I'm going to figure out. Now, if I call this professor and if I manage this and if I do that and if I have these perfect grades here and if I work at this job here and this extracurricular here, maybe you can force your way in. Does that mean it's God's plan? Or with your spouse or with the roof. Hey, real quick, this roof on this building that we got here wasn't because we went out and got a massive loan and went and petitioned the whole community and, and went and asked for all of these hand-me-downs and, and charity. No. You know, in fact, I didn't even mention it to any of you when we came and had that business meeting. And God spoke to each one of you individually. God spoke to Rosedale individually and made it happen. There's no claiming that I made that happen or any of you made it happen. God made that happen. Amen. Do you have any more thoughts, Sean? I do. Judges 8. This is the next one. Now they went and they beat the Midian army. They torched them. They actually killed themselves, by the way. Then they were running out in the, and, and the 300 got to chase them down. After they beat them, the people asked Gideon, why have you treated this way? Why have I treated you this way? I just saved your life. He then says, why didn't you send for us when you first went out to the fight the Midians? And it says here, they argue heatedly. I just want to point out to you, when you're in ministry and when you're praying hard and when God is speaking to you and when you start to step out in faith and do things, sign or no sign, and God begins to use you, people can get mad at you. They're going to get mad at you for whatever. You're not doing it the right way. You're not doing it the way I would do it. Your ministry, you got to, get to do it. You got to do it my way. Don't do it your way. Oh, you had some success. You were lucky. You know, if, if I was involved, it would have been better. Always complainers in ministry. If you're a complainer today, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person who gets complained too. Don't worry. The bigger point is, so often we as Christians, we are, we are so creative at being able to take a blessing in our life and demonstrate how it's now a curse in our life. God bless them, save them. And there are people that were saved complaining about it. Internal politics, reasons to stop your ministry. Satan will use whomever wherever, to do exactly what he wants. Amen? I have one more thought for you as I close this message. And again, I'm just reading the Word of God today because I just felt like today was one of those days we just need to go through it. Amen? There's one more thing. When God calls you to these bigger challenges in ministry, the situation's going to look more complicated. There's going to be less people to help you. When you are successful, people probably complain about it. And there's one more thing. This one is the one I'm most worried about. This one is the reason why you don't see every prophet in the Bible asking for a sign. It's the reason why the disciples didn't go through over and over again asking for a sign. I believe that there's a time and a place to ask for a sign. I do. But why doesn't he do it more often? Well, we get an indication here. God saved the people. They weren't very happy about it. Oh, it's far worse than that. Far worse. The next chapter. Verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of 
Baal. They forgot the Lord their God who had rescued them from all of their enemies surrounding them. We believe that God can do all things, things that we cannot, that he needs to be in control and we need to step aside. We need to fight the warfare spiritually, not physically. And when we do, his name is glorified. And when we follow him, his name is glorified. And when we bless others, his name is glorified. When we serve others, his name is glorified. And when we love others, his name is glorified. The word of God is clear. But when we ask for signs and we move our ministry and we do not have a full vision and we don't follow through 100% and getting is just like the rest of us who didn't follow through, the end result was the exact opposite that God wanted in the first place. And they all forgot. Why do we come to church this morning? Because every one of us, getting included, needs to come into God's presence, a holy place, and remember how good God is. Sign or no sign, ministry or no ministry, wilderness experience or spring experience, you need to remember how good God is. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.